Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Y'all doing well this morning? Yes? Awesome. Great. I hope so. Uh, my name is Dustin, and I get the privilege of serving uh, as the pastor. And so um, just glad you're here. Uh, it's a great day, right? Amen. Um, it's Easter Sunday, and this is um, the basis of what we believe, right? If Christ doesn't rise from the dead, Paul says, we do our whole life in vain. But if he did, we owe him everything back in return, right? If he really did take our sin and provide eternal life for us, then uh, what else could we do than offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him? And so, um, great day to be here. Um, I'm excited. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, the very end of it. Um, uh, one of the things we do here as a church uh, is we enjoy going straight through books of the Bible. We enjoy uh, starting with a passage of Scripture and building out rather than saying, what's Dustin's newest and brightest idea? Uh, we want to just expound upon what God's already given us in His Word. And so uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 4. We've actually been working through it the past 12 weeks, and so we've made it a couple chapters in. And uh, as you guys are getting there um, to that place, there's just a couple things I wanted to, uh, to say. The, the first one is this. I'm sure that everybody in here has some type of church experience, right? Maybe if you don't have a lot, you have a little bit. But it's easy, and I know this because um, it wasn't too, too long ago, probably about 10 or 12 years ago that I was in this place. But it's easy to almost separate the pastor from being a normal person. You know what I mean? And I don't say this in a weird way, but it's like pastors and missionaries, they're uh, hyper-perfect, hyper-great, right? And, and let me just say this. I celebrate today, and honestly, I, I shared this with our uh, everybody that serves. We call them connectors. We have a little uh, mini time with them before they go over there and, uh, and be the real MVPs for serving with all our kids over there. Um, but I just wanted to say this is... Um, I'm a, I'm a real person, a real sinner that was saved by the grace of God. And it wasn't uh, many years ago that I was caught in sin, right? I was a slave to sin. Um, uh, there was a point in my life I was addicted to porn. There was a point in my life I was borderline a womanizer, right? Um, and all of these things had a grip on me. And there was nothing I could do. I had tried everything I could do to get myself out of it, right? But it was only by God's grace in my life and saving me that I've seen this radical change happen. It wasn't something I could pull myself up from my bootstraps to do myself. And so I say that not to start you out with a radical hit, right? I say that because today is a day we celebrate that God is still doing that and changing people's lives, and I'm no different, right? I'm not a preacher that was born saved. I, I wasn't, uh, didn't come out of the womb perfect. I'm still not perfect. I still sin every day. But it's because of days and because of Jesus' resurrection that we get to celebrate us getting eternity forever. Amen? Can I get an amen to that? So um, with that being said, we'll get ready to jump into Acts chapter 4. Um, and, and if you're new here, um, I will say this. As Jamie mentioned, we are only about 12 weeks old. So um, I know you come in, and but it's just been a, a great thing that's been going on. And so we kind of uh, live by four principles as a, as a church, okay? And I was just going to mention these before we jump in, but these are kind of the four priorities we have, the pillars of our church. The first one is we're gospel-centered. Uh, Romans 1.16 says, the gospel, which is the good news that Christ took your place and my place on the cross, uh, that good news is what we want to center our church on. And what that means is, is it sets the standard in all we do. We want to passionately push the gospel forward because there's a lot of good things we could do, but it's the gospel that changes people's eternity, and we want to center around that. The second one is we're Bible-rooted. 
What we mean by that is, is that um, our final authority uh, is in Scripture, and we believe that Scripture is sufficient for all things, right? God's not going to say, Dustin, here's a new idea. Um, rather, we pull back, and the foundation of everything we have comes from Scripture. That's why we're passionate about it. The third one is uh, we're mission-driven, meaning we live in a culture and a time and everywhere it does on earth that there are people around us that don't know Christ, and it's our job as the church, it's our responsibility to take the gospel to them so that they can come to know Christ. Um, we want to be passionate about that. And then the last one is we're Holy Spirit-led. What do we mean by that? It's not weird and spooky, but what we mean is, is that on the day of salvation, God puts his spirit inside of you, and that's what propels you forward in the life of becoming like Christ. And so if every person has the Holy Spirit, we want to be passionate about the spirit and us following and giving way to the spirit in our lives on a daily basis. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles, like I said, we'll be in Acts chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 32, and we'll go through verse 37, and we'll spend a little bit of time there. And if you're a, a person that likes to follow me in your Bible, it'll be on the screen. But if you're a person that likes to follow me, in a, in a little while, we'll, we'll move over to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll spend some time in there as well. So Y'all good? You ready? Um, if, if you don't know where we are, um, we're in the book of Acts. What this is, is it's essentially the story of the early church, okay? These are the first believers. So Jesus lives. He has his disciples. Um, he appears to them. He gives them the great commission, and then he ascends back to heaven. And now there's this group of people left that don't have Jesus physically in their midst, and it forms the church, right? Now, what's interesting is Jesus gives them the great commission before the church forms, right? So the church formed for God's mission, which is to make disciples of all nations. And so what this is and what we're following is just what the early church did. And the reason we're going through it in the beginning as a church is because we said, why come up with our own ideas? Let's just preach through the book of Acts of what the early church did, and let's try to align as close to them as we can. And so we're at the end of this chapter, verse, or starting in verse 32, and I'm going to read the, first, uh, the, the five verses here, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Sound good? Great. Sound good? Amen. All right. I guess if it doesn't, you, too bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here we go. Uh, verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That sounds like a good thing to name a membership class after, doesn't it? If you're not familiar with that, that's what we call our, our membership deal, right? It's called Heart and Soul because we say often, we don't want you to just be a member of Connection Church. That's uh, subjective. We want you to be an owner in God's kingdom, right? Uh, Connection Church may live and die. We hope it's on for, for 200 years, 300 years, and generations, but the gospel won't stop or go forward uh, because of Connection Church. Um, we are just one of many that are linked arms trying to push the gospel forward. And so these believers were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. What were they giving their testimony to? What was a big deal to them? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34 there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid in it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the 
apostles' feet, and that's God's word. So let's pray together, and we'll jump in and unpack it. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for your grace and mercy. God, uh, we're thankful for the cross and resurrection. Um, God, without that, we would be hopeless. God, without that, uh, God, we would be bound to sin and bound to earth, and God, eventually bound to wrath because all of us deserve that apart from your grace. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. God, we celebrate it this morning. And Lord, I just pray now that your word would speak to us. God, I pray this wouldn't be uh, some type of pat on the butt speech, but God, it would be uh, expounding upon your word. God, that uh, your word would not return void as it says, but it would get in our heart and our lives. It would uh, reorient our lives. It would give us a new point of reference. God, it would uh, ultimately, uh, God, cause our affections for you to be greater because of it, Lord. And so, God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the cross, Lord, and the resurrection, and for providing salvation for us. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, let me start, as we jump into Scripture, by asking, has anybody ever done anything that they're semi-embarrassed to tell somebody? All right. Half of you, maybe. Okay, that, we know that's more like 100%. But let me tell you something quick that happened to me not long ago, and then we'll uh, jump in into the scripture because it kind of leads us into it. But uh, my wife and I have a uh, two-month-old baby. He's actually a little bit uh, older than that, like nine weeks. But anyways, I, I don't ever get that. It's like, at what point do you quit calling them months and weeks and where that ends? I, somebody told me the other day they had a 24-month-old, and I'm like, anybody else? Is that weird? That's two years, okay? But anyways... <laughs> Um, I say that to say uh, um, we, we have a, a couple-month-old, and, and going back a couple months, um, we're, we're low on sleep, we're tired, there's a lot going on, the church was starting, the baby was here, and we just had a lot going on, and uh, there was one Sunday after church, uh, we had had our heart and soul, and I was leaving, I called my wife, she said, will you stop and get dinner on the way home? Uh, so I'm over on the east side, and I, I'm, I'm going to Arby's. Well, I'm driving into Arby's, and I, I pull in, and I, I pull up to the drive-thru, and when I get to the drive-thru, they say, uh, welcome, what would you like, or, you know, whatever they say, and I say, well, um, I want one uh, classic with potato cakes and a Diet Coke, and the person says, sir, we don't have potato cakes, and I'm like, this is Arby's, you have potato cakes, I don't know if I need to tell you your menu, but you have potato cakes, um, then they say, well, on, you want the classic. And I'm like, yeah, just the classic mid, you know, the regular roast beef sandwich that you're famous for. I'm like, this guy is drastically confused, okay? Um, so long story short, we go into the next order. And I'm like, uh, do, do you guys have um, a four for four? And they're like, yes, we do. And so what you can realize is, is in the moment, my brain is fried, Okay. Long story short, I could tell this over and over because the conversation between me and this poor guy went on for like five minutes because I was trying to convince him of the menu. Listen, I had pulled up to what I thought was Arby's and I was in the Wendy's line, okay? And they're sitting there thinking, and then, y'all, I had gone through and somehow he had like come up with the order of every order I've ordered. And it was like six orders. We were getting food for the whole family. And so it's like $42. And I'm like, and I've worked in a restaurant before, so that's on the screen. They're already back there making it, and I feel terrible. I'm like, do I just still buy the food and just get what they give me? Or, you know, do I go to Arby's? And I'm thinking, my wife's at home. She's like three days past having a baby. If I bring Wendy's home and she expects a classic roast beef sandwich, this ain't going to be good. You know what I mean? So I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just forget the order. And I just drive away as fast as I can. You know what I mean? I'm like, get, get out of here. I hope you never see my truck again, right? Um, so I say that because here's what happened. And here's what I think can happen to us, uh, right? And, and how this relates to the early church. But 
What had happened was, is I might have been talking on the phone, but also my, my brain was fried. I really don't remember if I was talking on the phone or not. Uh, but um, what happened was, is I wasn't being intentional about what I was doing, right? I was just doing what became second nature. And I'm here to say, in our culture, it is second nature, right, to think there's a God. It's second nature to believe that there's maybe a higher power, or maybe go to church, and those things are quote-unquote normal, but it's not really normal in our culture to intentionally, intentionally follow Jesus. You follow me on this? It's very normal in our culture for uh, most of us to have maybe grown up in church or whatever else, but it's not normal for us to intentionally get into God's word every day. You see what I'm talking about here is if we do what's natural, we get a little bit, but at the end of the day, if we're not intentional, we find ourselves in a different place than what the believers did. And so here's what I want to say. If we're not careful of that, what we do is, is Jesus tells a parable, and I'm going to summarize it quickly, but he throws out seeds. If uh, you're planting a garden, it's a good time to do that. Uh, I had an older wise person, I don't know if I should say older, I don't know if people get offended by that, but an um, uh, older wise person tell me this time of year, Good Friday, was a good day to plant your garden. So anyways, Jesus tells a story of planting seeds, right? And uh, he says he plants it, he throws seeds out on three different things. And what we all do is, is he throws it on rocks and it, and it withers and doesn't grow. And, and then he throws it on the good soil and it and it comes up and grows. And what we all think that we normally do is, is we all assume we're which one? The good soil, right? And it's the same way here with me being intentional is we all assume we're intentional with following Christ. But I would say that it's easy for us to not be intentional as the early believers were. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three things that we get from this passage that the early believers were intentional about understanding, right? Three things that they had in their head that wasn't second nature, but that they pursued at intentionally, okay? And here are the three things. I'll go ahead and give them to you, all three, so that you can write them down, and then we'll unpack them. We'll spend a little more time on the second one than the other two, but we'll get through them. The first one is this, is we are not our own. We'll unpack that in just a minute from those first couple verses. The second one is... They believed and understood and preached the gospel. That's something they understood well. It wasn't just something second nature. They pretended they know, but they understood it well. And then the third one is they treasured Jesus more than anything else in the world. And we see all three of these things from this passage. And so we'll get to unpacking them. So the first one is we are not our own. Let me read just these couple verses again so we can think through this and how they are. But listen to the first couple verses, how they start. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And check this out. This is important part. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, right? Now they're specifically talking about property and money, but it causes us and should cause us to ask the bigger question, is anything we have ours, right? Um, it, it, do, do we deserve anything? Because if, if we're quite honest with ourselves, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think any of us in our womb were like, God, create me. You're already in the womb. You know what I mean? Or maybe you uh, work hard for the things you have. And what do we think? I've earned those things, right? I've worked hard for those things. And yes, the Bible teaches we reap what we sow. But at the end of the day, even the gifts you have to, to earn what you earn are, is grace from God. You follow me on this? Is that everything we have in life, listen, including life itself, 
It's not ours. It is something that we are stewarding for God, right? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. He says, um, we are not our own, but rather we are temples of God, right? We are worship places of God. And when the veil torn in the New Testament, you don't now have to go to the temple to worship. You can worship here. And the temple was the one place that, that made, they made sure was in all of God and worshiped God at all times. And now that's how we treat our bodies. You follow me on this? Think about this. In Genesis 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen, most scientists are going to give you three things that you need for creation. So um, some people would say that we come from nothing, right? Nothing and nothing, boom together, and here we are. That, I can't follow that logic, okay? But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about this. There's three things you need. The first thing you need is time. Right? People say, where did God come from? That's a time question, and our God is not bound by it, right? Um, he creates time. The second thing is he creates space. He, he created, in the beginning, the time slide, he created the heavens. He creates the universe. He creates the space for something to happen. Once again, if God created it, he's not bound by it. And then the third thing he created was earth. You follow me on this? And so he has something in his creation, and then the rest of Genesis 1 pours down and says that. So what I'm saying that, I don't run through that just so you can uh, remember that and, and think through that. I say that because if God is that powerful and he creates us, then we should realize then that our life doesn't belong to us. My life is not Dustin's life. My wife's life is not Rachel's life. My son's life is not Dax's life. We are all children of God. Right? We were all created by God. Romans 1 says it this way. Romans 1 says you can look around and you see creation. You see trees. You see stars. You see this big stuff. And naturally, we look at that and we think, I didn't put that there. There's something bigger than me out there. Right? And then Paul goes on to say that we stand condemned by that God because we know he's there, but we need to find a way to be right with him. And so what happens is, is when we realize that, we realize that our identity, as for the disciples, is not something that's given to us from other people. It's not something we work up from within ourselves. It's something that's given to us from an external source, namely God. Right? Think about this with me. Um, our worth doesn't come from what we can do. And this is directly opposes culture if you think about it, right? Women, you will find your identity if you can lose enough weight, if you can be pretty enough, if you can impress enough people and get enough likes and enough followers. You can have an identity. And God says, no, that means nothing. Your identity comes from me. Men, maybe we think we get our identity from how much we work or um, we stand around and we talk about how much money we make or how strong we are or how good of an athlete we were back in the day, right? And we work up this identity of who we are. But at the end of the day, those things will come and fall. But our identity comes from the external source of God. Think about it. Our identity comes from the one who was willing to pay for our lives and give it to us, Right? You are worth more than what we can accomplish here on earth. And how do we know that? Because something is worth what somebody's willing to pay, right? Think about it this way. Um, a couple years ago, my wife and I were selling our, our, our first house, and the appraiser came. And it was kind of when the market was first starting to boom, and somebody had given us a lot of money for our house or was about to give us a lot of money for our house, a lot more than I thought it was worth, but I wasn't keeping up with the market a lot. And the appraiser comes by, and he says, um, you know, your house is great, looks nice. And I'm like, well, do you think it'll appraise for what we sold it for? And he said, I think it'll appraise for whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. Right? And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That's a, that's a good idea. Well, think about this with Jesus. What was God willing to pay for you? 
his entire life, right? He, he didn't say, I'm just willing to give a little bit or whatnot. He said, you are worth it enough. And in, in the midst of that, what we realize is, is that we are not our own, right? Paul says we are bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus is what we are bought with. And so as our identities will be fleeting, listen, think about a middle schooler's identity being caught up and being popular and a high schooler's identity being caught up in the attention that they can get from the opposite sex. And then college, your identity is how well you can do or how many friends you can have. And then how your beautiful your house is and your money and then how well you can retire. And we, we form these identities our whole life and it's like a hamster on a wheel. But what I'm here to tell you is those identities will all be fleeting, right? If your identity comes from anything that can be taken, it's not a stable foundation. And that is what shows us that our identity comes from the outside. Our identity is founded upon God who doesn't change, right? And our identity comes from him and him alone. It's an external source. It's not dependent upon us. And listen, that's what the disciples understood. Listen, and that's what caused them to do what seems like outrageous things and love people outrageously. And what it did is it caused the outside world to look at their church and be like, that's attractive. I want to be a part of that. Right? Could you imagine being a woman in those days where it's normal just to have many husbands and you're, you're fighting for attention and fighting for attention and you see this group of people and the men treat their wives with love and respect and they just live in all of them and serve them well? If you're a woman in that time, you're thinking, I want to be a part of that. You follow me on this? It's like there was something different about it and what was different is they understood that they were not their own. Their life and value came from something else. Listen, two quick things we learn since we're not our own. Two quick ones. The first one is we're not here by accident. I could go into that. I kind of already did with Genesis 1-1, but we are not our own. And so what that shows us is that we were not created by accident. The second one is this, is we have a purpose deeper than a purpose we can even create ourselves. One thing I've noticed, and, and I think this is just normal, is we all want to be important to some degree. You know what I mean? It's like um, I, you, you get in a group of people, and y'all know what I'm talking about. You get in a group of people, and, and somehow you're trying to talk about how important you are. You know what I mean? It's like I'll never forget uh, when, I, when I went off to college for the first time, and I was driving to go get something to eat or something. I called my mom and told her, and she's like, why did you tell me that? I'm like, I felt like somebody needs to know. You know what I mean? Somebody needs to have an idea of what we're conversating about. I need to be important. Somebody needs to know about me. And so it's the same thing that always happens, but we have a purpose deeper than that, and it's something more. It comes from our Creator. It comes from the God of the Bible, and that's what it's rooted in. And so that's the first thing we see is that we are not our own. The second thing is this, it comes from verse 32, but is that they believed and preached the gospel. They understood the gospel clearly. I think this is so important because I honestly think this is one of the things that uh, it's easy for our culture to take for granted is we, we, we say we know it, we say we believe it, but then it's like as soon as somebody asks us one question, we step back. But if somebody comes and asks you a question about something else, you have all the answers. You know what I mean? It's like um, there are many people that could tell you how to hit a baseball like you wouldn't believe or how to, how to build a house in every part of the construction process or put a fire out or how to teach kids, right? You could go on with every profession, how to save money, how to be financially smart and all these things. But then it comes to the gospel and there's like a very low understanding of what it is, but not for them, right? Not for them. They were testifying to it over and over. Verse 32, it says, or verse 33, it says this, and with great power, 
the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And so you say, Dustin, well, what exactly is the gospel? What is all this about? What are we singing for? Why do we sing? Why do we worship? And so I just want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to spend some time unpacking it, and we'll spend a few minutes here. So um, we'll spend some time unpacking this passage, and then we'll have one more point, and we'll, we'll be complete. Ephesians chapter 2 starts with this. Listen, let me just catch you up. This is Paul writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers, and he's just making sure they understand the gospel of their salvation. This is what saves you. Um, we, we say this in heart and soul. Um, we want people to be able to leave here, you, um, to be able to leave here and go to work tomorrow morning and be able to share the gospel and know when somebody comes to you and says, I want to be saved, for you to be able to lead them to Christ right then. And so what's one of the best places to do that? It's right here in Ephesians 2, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Many uh, theologians even call this one of the most heavy-packed passages of what the gospel is in its bones. And so here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Listen, the first part of that, it says, As and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. I think what's easy for us to do as we unpack this passage is the first thing is, is we deflect that you. You know what I mean? It's like that sin is for the person next to me. That, that, that message would be good for so-and-so to hear. I wish that that person would hear this. You see, you follow me on this? If the next generation would understand that. If the generation above me would have understood this, if the young people would understand this. And so we all talk like this, but what we're doing is we're reflecting the, the biggest issue, and the biggest issue is that we are all corrupt, we're all dead in our sins, right? It's not that some of us are, it's not that uh, some of us are a little better than the other, but all of us, me, you, and everybody else, were dead in our trespasses and sins. Check this out in which you once walked following the course of this world. Let me think about it like this. It says we were dead. Now, here's the thing about being dead in your sin. Being dead in your sin looks different for all people, right? Um, maybe you come from an addiction background, and that's okay because your sin looked different. Maybe you grew up in church and you were taught God from an early age, and you had scripture poured into you from an early age, but you were still rebellious. Both people are still dead in their sin, right? Think about it like this. Say you walk up on a, on a, a, a war, uh, war zone, and you walk out there, and there's uh, hundreds of dead people, right? There, just a massacre had occurred. And you look around, and the reality is all the people laying there, because you show up a few days later, are dead, but they all look different, Right? Some people may be blown into pieces, and you find little pieces. Some people may have one sharp bullet to one place. Some people, you, just at first glance, may look like they're alive, right? You may not see any blood around them. You may not see anything. But what happens is, and what you come to the conclusion of, is all these people may look vastly different, but what's the reality of all of them? They're dead, right? And so I say that because all of us in here, listen, when we walk in sin, sometimes it'll look similar, but when we're dead in our sin, we all look a little bit different, right? But the reality is without Christ, without God breathing life into us, we are dead in our sin. And what's even worse is he says when we're dead in our sin, we're not just neutral. It says that we're actually following the prince of the power of the air. That's saying 
That's a reference to Satan, that we're following Satan. Listen, I used to think that you could like play both sides of the fence, right? You could just straddle it and kind of follow the world and follow Christ and be in or out or et cetera. But from this passage, we don't see that. You're one or the other. It says the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Listen, when that's why we say that you go from being a son of the darkness or child of the darkness to a son of the light or a child of the light, because there's really only two kingdoms, right? You're either in God's kingdom and you're pursuing the Lord and you have found salvation, or you're actually following the ways of the world. Verse three, I know this is bad news, but good news is coming. Verse three says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, right? So he makes this jump. He says, because you're dead in your sin, we are all now deserving of wrath. That seems crazy, Dustin. That, why would God do that? Well, here's the deal. If God even saves one person in his grace, then that is considered grace because we have all worked in sin and our due penalty is to be separated from God. We're deserving of wrath. Think about it like this. This is probably one of the best illustrations I've heard of explaining this, but this is really good. So, Imagine you walk up on a, on a terrace camp, right? And uh, there's uh, this, this bus is going on. And what they're doing is they have these terrace people there and they're, they're training them to go up to school buses with children on them and plant bombs under them. So when they go, they can destroy it, right? Seems like a horrific act. And it is. It is awful. But you're sitting there watching them, and you've been watching them for days, and they're, they're learning how to specifically do that, how to hide it, how to get away with it, how they can get the most people on there so they can do the most damage. And you're sitting there one day, and two of the guys walk off to the side at lunchtime because they take a lunch break. And one guy tells the other one that he forgets his sandwich. He has no lunch. So out of the goodness of that guy's heart, he says, I'll give you a part of my sandwich. And he takes his sandwich in half and breaks it off and gives it to the other guy. Now, the question is, does that one good deed in light of what this person is doing make him not deserving wrath? No, because what he's doing is he's now still on the course for destruction. It doesn't change his life's overall goal, right, um, of what he's doing. But what it does is, is it shows that he has one little hint of goodness, right? And what we do is, is we like to think that we're not that person, but our hints of goodness are a little more than that. So we're really not that bad. You follow me on this? And the reality is we are. We are dead apart from Christ. And because of that, we then are deserving of wrath, and that's our life, right? This is all a worship issue. We're living our life on our own, trying to find a way for us to get worshiped. And so I know that's crazy. I know that sounds bad, but that's just scripture, right? And then comes the good part, okay? I promise you, I'm done yelling at you now, okay? You're like, golly, is he going to get nicer? I'm just kidding, okay? We're good. Verse four, but God, right? One of the biggest conjunctions in, in everything, right? That you know, all these people are terrible. They're awful. They're deserving of wrath. They're sinners. But God, because the people got their act together and started acting good and started giving to the church and quit cussing and started, no, right? None of that. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, not because we loved him, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us live together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, here's one of the most beautiful things about our God is when, when you become a child of God and you get saved, you don't just go from C team to JV. You don't just go from the bottom line to a midway. You get seated with Christ, right? We are co-heirs with Christ. We get everything Christ gets. And that's one of the most beautiful parts of the gospel. That's what it means when he says he seats us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, heaven, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's one conjunction there I want to uh, talk about. It says that, and this is not of your own doing, in verse, or in verse 8, and this. What is he talking about when he says this and this? He's referring to the, to the two things that have happened before, that by grace you have been saved through faith, and this does not happen for your own works because then you would get the glory. Think about this. We say this often. If uh, you, you had to get to 100 and you work up 50% of the way, and Christ comes down 50% of the way, you deserve 50% of the glory. But what this is teaching is, is that we're dead, and Christ comes and brings life in us. So it's not a 50-50 thing that we're putting in a little bit of work with Christ. It's that in his great love for us, he comes down and breathes life into us, and he does 100% of the work. Therefore, he deserves 100% of the glory. Amen? And so what happens is, is in that, we understand that forgiveness of our sins and what he's done for us is a massive deal. Think about it quickly like this. Say you uh, loan your car out, your best car to somebody, right? And uh, they, they take off with it, and they're going down the road, and they're, uh, they're, 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 they're driving, and... Um, they run right in the back of somebody. It causes like a five-car pileup. Well, here's the deal. You didn't realize that uh, that person uh, was going to do that, right? You had no idea that they were going to do that. And so um, it causes thousands of dollars of damage. And then you call your insurance company, and you realize that by accident, your insurance had just expired. And now you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, right? You owe all these people this money, but thankfully, you're rich, right? And the person that you let borrow your car comes to you and tells you all this, and you're thinking, wow, that's crazy. Now, in the end, when you do this, right, this person comes to you and tells you all this, this stuff that they have done and uh, this debt they've accumulated, all this damage they've done, in that moment, you can't just erase it. You follow me? The, the damage has already been done. All you can do in that moment, the best you can do, especially since you're rich, right? I created you as a rich person. Um, the best you can do is you can absorb all of that, right? You, you can't take it away. You can't undo it. You absorb all of that, and then you pat the person on the, the butt and say, it's all right, buddy. Go ahead. Um, I'll take care of it. And what you've done then is you have forgave that person and absorbed everything that came along with him or her. You follow me on that? Listen, that's what Christ has done for us, right? The damage has been done. All of us in here have worked in sin, right? All of us, as Paul says, not a couple of us, not those of you that have worked yourself up well enough, but all of us were deserving of sin. And listen, it wasn't that the damage has been done when we worked in sin, right? It wasn't that we could go back and undo it. But in that moment on the cross, right, Christ absorbed the wrath, the, the penalty that we deserve. He absorbed it all for us. 
And then he didn't say, now go live a miserable life. He's loving enough to say, I'm going to give you spiritual life, and it's going to be the best thing you could ever imagine. And not only that, you're now going to get to enjoy eternity forever. So not only am I absorbing your punishment, I'm willing to give you something better than anything else the world could offer. And not only that, as it said, we get to be co-heirs with Christ. Are you following me on this? Can you imagine when you just think back to what was going through Christ's head, the, the week of Holy Week and him leading up to what he was doing, and then to have the audacity on the cross to say things like, forgive them for they know not what they do. The amount of grace and love that comes from our God should do nothing but leave us in a place of worship and awe, you guys. And listen, I think when we lose that, what we do is we lose sight of the cross. And that's what the early believers were not doing. You follow me on that? They're a little ways into their church, and what are they doing? They're still testifying to the cross and to the resurrection because they knew that that's what everything hinged on. There's a quote from uh, Spurgeon, one of the great preachers, that I wanted to uh, quote from him. This is what he says. He says, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly and condemned or think too lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck is the man that will weep for joy when he is pardoned to hate the evil which he has been forgiven for and to live to the honor of the Redeemer whose blood he has been cleansed by. Right? It's in the moment when we understand who we are apart from Christ that makes Jesus all the more sweeter. Can I get an amen? That's what makes all of this seem great. There's one last thing I wanted to share before we get to our third point, and it'll be, it'll be quick. Uh, there's a, a, a guy named Robert Coleman. I know some of y'all probably wonder how I think of these stories and analogies. This one's straight from somebody else, so here we go. Um, <laughs> um, there's a guy named Robert Coleman. He wrote a book you may have heard of called The Master Plan of Evangelism. He was a theologian pastor, but he tells a story, and he, he, he tells this story, and this is kind of how it goes. There's a, there's a little girl who's seven. She has an older brother who's nine, and uh, the doctors find out that she has a very rare blood disease. This is a true story, um, a very rare blood disease. And so um, they, they need to figure out, but the doctors can't figure out how they can solve it, right? They, they have no idea. They're, they're stumped. They've never seen it before. They don't know what to do. But what they realize is, is that her older brother, who's nine, had the exact same disease about three years prior. And so they go to him and say, hey, would you be willing to give your sister some blood, some, uh, a blood infusion, so that he can then have antibodies for her blood disorder so that she can live? And the little boy's like, sure, why not, right? And, and he, he, he seems a little hesitant, but he, he decides on it. And so um, a few months later, they set it up, and uh, they're, they're really worried, but they look, and the doctor goes in, he puts the IV in the little kid, and the, he looks up at the doctor, and the doctor kind of has tears coming down. And, and the, the little boy looks at the doctor, and he says, how long? And the doctor says, how long for what? And he says, how long until I run out of blood and I die? Right? The little boy was willing to shed his blood for his sister, and he didn't understand what a blood infusion was. Right? Now, I say this as completely honest and transparent as I can be. That's how I chalk up Jesus' blood a lot. Can we be honest, right? Is that um, I'll just take it a little bit when it's ready, but I don't know if I'm really willing to give it all back, right? We say this often. If, if, if we had the worst debt we could ever have and Jesus paid it for us, you would naturally say, if I deserve death and Jesus gave me life, I would then live my life for you, right? 
But it's when we see the cross and its magnitude that causes us to love God with all the magnitude that we can, right? It's in that 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 stirs us up and stirs our heart to love God more and more. Listen, I don't share that because I'm trying to just shake you or rattle you. I share that because this is the gospel that we celebrate today. Amen? I mean, this is what makes Easter beautiful. It's not because we get to wear awesome dresses and pretty shirts and look great today, right? It's because Jesus was a real person who shed real blood, who really resurrected and really did all of that for our salvation. And that's what makes him worth worshiping. Point number three, and we'll get ready to wrap up. The next thing we see from verses 34 through 37 is that they treasured Jesus more than anything else. Listen, if we understand point two and we understand the gospel and all it's worth, this becomes natural, right? You treasure to verse 34. It's, it's, it's fairly easy to see how these disciples are getting to this place, but it says this, there was not a needy person among them as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought proceeds of what was sold. So they sell them and They bring it all together. Why? Because they're not their own, because they understand what Christ did for them, and they're selling their land compared to what Christ did for them was really nothing, and they treasured Jesus more than anything else. That's why they were willing to do this, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And then Joseph, who was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Listen, I, don't, I think they're doing this by choice, so we're not saying that everybody needs to just go sell and give, right? They're doing it as choice because there were many needs. And so, um, but I think the, the, the deeper thing here that causes us to question is what do we treasure most, right? Do we treasure Christ most? Listen, not one time a year, not twice a year, not Sundays, not 52 times a year, but in the small decisions, right? We, we say this all the time. Following Christ is not just an emotional, spiritual high for a couple weeks that comes down. It's making habits and little decisions and little more habits and little more decisions and then more habits and more decisions that cause you to become more like Christ, that causes Christ to be more at the center of your worldview and causes Christ to be more of what you live your life for. Listen, I totally understand that um, most many of you in here, right, you wake up tomorrow morning and Easter's over and you're back to your eight to five or you're back to work and it's just, it becomes an easy thing, right? But that's what makes this so important is that when we treasure Christ above all, we take Christ with us and we realize that your job is to be leveraged for Christ. Your kids are to be to leverage for Christ because in the end, nothing is our own. And so here's just a couple questions I think it's easy for us to think about. What do we treasure most right now, you guys? Um, I, I would say this. What is something you wouldn't miss that you would reschedule everything else for? Right? I had to do a wedding yesterday. It was hot. Wearing a suit. I thought about wearing a suit. You know, I think like when my, when my grandparents and stuff think of me being a preacher now, they're like, they probably think of me in a suit. You know what I mean? They don't think back in the, back in the day, but I wore a suit all day yesterday, so I didn't wear one today, right? Um, but I had to do a wedding yesterday. Well, we also had a, a family Easter obligation. Well, here's the deal. Which one of those do you miss? Can't call my friend up. Hey, I can't do your wedding, right? Why? Because it was a higher priority. And so the question becomes, what is our highest priority? What do you schedule everything else around, right? What are you not willing to miss? That's 
probably one of your highest priorities. And let's be real, work is high on that list, as it should be. But work is not everything either, right? Your purpose is deeper than what you do for a living. Um, I think what that causes us to do is it causes us to think of Christ, right? Like Matthew 13, like the, like the, 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 the parable where it says that uh, Christ is like a treasure in a field and he was willing to go sell everything to buy the field so that he could find Christ. And I think that's the hardest thing for us to do in our culture, especially the hardest thing for do. And listen, what our culture wants us to do is just slightly get our eyes off Christ, right? Enough to make us feel good, but just enough that we're really not worshiping God for who he is. And the way we treasure Christ the most is from point two, by looking back at the cross and understanding what he had done for us. Amen. And so everything, and I repeat, everything centers around the cross and the resurrection, right? The idea that you and I, in our sin, dead in our sin, deserving of not God's grace, but he would be loving enough to lavish on us his love and grace, as Ephesians 1 says, that he would go to the cross for us, right? Bear our sin, not only just bear it, but then seat us after we place faith in him as a co-heir with him, with Christ. And then not only that, he resurrects three days later, right? Why did he resurrect? For primarily two purposes, right? He resurrected, number one, to show that sin and death would not have a hold on us anymore, right? Whatever sins that have a grip on you, Christ did away with them, right? Whatever sins are holding you back, Christ killed them. He did away with them. And then the second one was to show that the sacrifice that he had made was validated by the Father, right? The Father and sin, the God and sin can't go together, right? There has to be a cleansing that takes place for us to come and worship God. And that cleansing was what Christ did for us on the cross. And so that's all I have for us. This is what we're going to do. Um, the worship team is going to go ahead and come back up. And I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll worship to a song. And y'all, I, I just pray wholeheartedly that our worship would fr flow from a place of the disciples of understanding what Christ has done for us. Because I think in those moments when our mind is set on what Christ did for us is when we're able to love God the deepest and glorify him the most. So let's pray together and we'll get ready to worship again. God, we love you. God, we're thankful for your grace and mercy. God, I'm thankful for your grace and mercy. God, I, I know now that, God, it's not the funnest thing to, God, talk about sin, talk about, God, who we are apart from you. But, Lord, I, I pray now that we would all have an understanding of that, as Paul says, so that we can worship you for all your worth. And, God, it doesn't mean that we have to be robots, God. There's freedom in our following you. But, God, that we would stand in awe daily of what you've accomplished for us on the cross. And so, God, quickly, if, if there's anybody in here, I just want to quickly say this. If there's anybody in here who has not placed faith in Christ, and you would say that um, I, I maybe didn't understand the gospel, maybe I really didn't understand what Christ absorbed for me, I didn't really understand my position before understanding the gospel, my position of deadness apart from Christ. And you came in this morning, and you want to say yes to Christ. You want to give your life to Christ today. And this is not an emotional plea, right? This is just a, a, a decision you're making in your head to say, by grace, I've been saved, and now I want to place faith in Christ. And so if there's anybody in here that wants to do that now, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody in here?
give you just a few seconds. Anybody that wants to place faith in Christ, if it, if it is you, will you raise your hand a little bit high? We're actually going to have somebody um, come by and grab you if there's anybody that wants to raise their hand. Great. Well, let's finish praying and we'll move on. Father, once again, we're, we're thankful. God, we're thankful for your grace and mercy. And God, just pray that we would see you for all your worth. God, we would see the cross in a new light daily. God, that it would cause our worship to flow. God, it would cause us to reorient things and love you all the more. And God, just thank you for all you've done for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can stand and we'll sing.